Good morning. We just finished this series on divine encounters where we looked at some biblical characters having an encounter with God. And, you know, I'm really interested in your divine encounter story, how you had an experience with God that changed your life. So here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'd like you to type that out. Send me your story. Send me your God story about how you met the Lord or how God encountered you. Uh, and send it to my email address. That's pastordeal at newhope.in. Long as you get my last name spelled right, you got it. My, it, it's, excuse me, pastordeal at mynewhope.in. Just send that story to me, and I would love to hear about how you encountered God. And uh, I also want to mention, um, before we get into our message, which, by the way, is in Genesis chapter 25, so if you brought an old-fashioned Bible, and you want to turn to Genesis 25, uh, that's where we're going to start. <clears throat> but before we do that, I want to uh, mention that when we first went online with our church service, it was because we had to. It was a substitute for meeting face-to-face. But we've seen an interesting dynamic develop as we've been doing this now for almost a year. We found out that a whole lot of people who would not want to come to our church service are connecting to our church service online. They, maybe, they're cons- maybe they're afraid that they don't have something to wear that would fit. So now they get to find out what we wear, what, we, what we're like, without ever coming. They just get to tune in. So it's become a real evangelism tool. And I'm saying that because um, we've entrusted Pastor Todd with being the online church pastor. So he's shepherding that. But when people uh, who are watching online send in prayer requests, they, they have a request right there. We want to interact with them right there. And he can't do that with five people at the same time. So he needs to develop an online church team that can help be hosts and greet people and recognize people and pray for people when they have prayer needs online. It becomes a very viable outreach for our church. If, if you would like to do that, those of you that are here in the house, we believe that you should attend a service and just receive. But we have a second service, and you can serve in that other service. You can also attend a service here, and in the other service when you're not attending, you can be an online church host. Those of you that are home and watching this, maybe you're recipients and maybe you're receiving that, and that's a wonderful thing. Maybe you'd like to be a host uh, and while you're participating in it, you can actually be a minister in someone else's life. So here's, here's what you need to do. Just go to the church website, which is mynewhope.in. If you go there, and one of the boxes in the top row is going to say online church team. And you just click that box, and it'll tell you what you need to do to get on. Pastor Todd will get right back with you. He will coach you. He'll tell you everything you need to know. He'll tell you what to do if this happens, what to do if that happens. Uh, and train you to become an actual online church team host. And so we, uh, we appreciate you doing that. Okay, before we get into our story, one more thing I want to share. How many are glad God covers your mistakes? I collect mistakes. Typos that got past the editor. These are, these are actual headlines that went to print, got right past, got right past the editor. Number one, drunk gets nine years in violin case. (laughs) That'd be terrible if you're claustrophobic, wouldn't it? Here's another one. Hospitals sued by seven-foot doctors. 
Actors confirmed in Grisham movie to be shot next month. (laughs) The Compass Rosebook Shop is looking for artists to expose themselves on the walls of the shop. (laughs) And last but not least, two sisters reunited after 18 years in checkout line. I've been to that store before. I know where that is. <laughs> All right, Genesis 25. We're going to start, we're going to look, work our way through the life of Jacob with this series. But we're not going to, I'm not going to uh, spend all that time talking about his life. I want us to look at the struggles he had because that's a key all the way through his life from before he was born till the very end. All through his life, he's going through one struggle after another. This kind of struggle, that kind of a struggle. And he's one of the patriarchs. He's one of the fathers of the faith, one of the fathers of the, of, of the church. And so let's look at how Jacob struggled and see if we can't learn some lessons about how you and I struggle. Because it's just not true that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, all your problems go away. My experience is when you give your life to Jesus Christ, your troubles begin. Because God's got to get all the gunk out before he can put the good stuff in. He's got to demolish the old building before he can rebuild the new one. I hate that demolition, don't you? I still got some of that old debris hanging around that he's trying to clear out of my life. Genesis 25, let's start in verse 19 and look at this first episode of his struggles. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, of the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. By the way, what we're reading here, let me just say to every husband that's here, this is your responsibility to pray on behalf of your wife. Did you know that? God's called you to be the priest of your home. Quit quit relying on your wife to do the praying for you. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are within you, within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they called him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac 
who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Do you see the struggle already brewing? Before he's ever born, the, the two are jostling each other in their mother's womb. So I want us to see five things. I think I got five. Do I have four? Yeah, I got five things I want us to learn from this story. Here's the first one. It's the pecking order. You understand what a pecking order is? You put a cake of suet out on your back deck or in your backyard for the birds to come, and you watch them a while. It doesn't take you very long to figure out what the pecking order is. Some birds just scatter all the other birds out of the way. When they show up, all the other birds run. They flee. That's the top dog, except he's a bird. And then all the way down the different kind of species of birds that come to your feeder, they all submit to that pecking order. Who established that pecking order in the first place? Wasn't wasn't me. I just observe it. Did you know there's a pecking order among us humans? There's a pecking order in your home. There's a pecking order at your place of employment. There's a pecking order in the church. In some cases, the pecking order is established. Somebody voted on it, and they established it, and they're going to enforce it. In other cases, nobody mandates it. It just happens. Certain people defer to other people. It's just the way it is. It's the way we're raised. There's a pecking order between Jacob and Esau. One of them is born first. And the second one comes right behind, grabbing a hold, trying to pull him back. Competition. Have you noticed there's competition in your life? There's competition on your job, even though whether it's manifest or not. Some competition is under the table, you know, undermining. But there's always this competition. We all know this. We just maybe hadn't thought about it as a pecking order. Jacob and Esau have this pecking order. In verses 22 through 24, it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. You know, here's a good question. This is a biblical question. You ought to maybe write this down and put it on your refrigerator. When things are happening you don't understand, it'd be a good idea to get alone with God and say, why is this happening to me? Because there's probably a reason. And you're never going to figure the reason out if you're not asking the question. If you ask the question, then you'll recognize the answer when he gives it to you. Pecking order. The babies jostled one another within the womb. There are some struggles we have from our birth. We were born with this struggle within us. I want us to see that this story of Jacob and Esau and their struggles 
is a word picture for you and I and our life struggles that we have. Blind from birth, Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth. Lame from his mother's womb, born lame, unable to walk. Jesus healed them both. Do you see this? You can, you can be born with issues, with struggles that follow through all the way through your life. But listen, Jesus can heal those. This is good news, church. Somebody ought to say amen. He can heal those things that you think are hopeless. Because it's, it's always been that way. doesn't always have to stay that way. God's a good God. Competition. Competition. The older is going to serve the younger. Well, wait a minute. That's countercultural. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The older is supposed to be the dominant child, right? How many in this room are firstborn in your family? Let me see. Raise your hand if you're a firstborn child. They say the firstborn children tend to be aggressive, assertive. They, uh, they go for it because they're the oldest among the siblings. How many of you are the lastborn child? I saw somebody with her hand up both times. I know what that means. It's cultural that when you're the firstborn, you inherit the fa- your father's blessing. Maybe that's not legal in our country, but that's the way it's been all down through history. The firstborn son inherited the father's farm, inherited the father's possessions, inherited... Inherited everything. The younger ones just kind of followed along. He says it's the older that's going to serve the younger. Countercultural. That's backwards. And reminds me, I see God do a lot of things backwards. Not the way I thought he was going to do it. Not the way I thought it was supposed to be. The first shall be last. Right. What does that mean? How does that come about? You see, God just does things backwards. Or maybe we've been doing them backwards all along. God straightens it out. They're going to be separated. These twin boys of yours, they're going to be separated. Now, that's not what any mother wants to hear. But when she went and asked God what's going on, he told her, These two boys are going to be separated. There's going to be a struggle between them all through their lives. We're going to see that continue over the next couple chapters. So the pecking order, that's the first thing I want us to see. And if uh, I want you to think about that pecking order thing. If you're a teacher, I know we got some teachers in our church. If you're a teacher, you, you know that there's a pecking order among the kids. You know, there's just some. They come in like a bully and they just take charge. And then there's others that are passive, and they just kind of sit in the background. That's the pecking order. It happens everywhere we go. It's human nature for that pecking order to be established. Here's the second thing I want us to see, and that is the name game that's going on. Verses 25 and 26 says, The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. After this, his brother came out 
with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means he grasps the, the heel, grasps the heel. See, Jacob knows he's number two. He knows he's coming behind his older brother, who's only a couple minutes older. But he's grabbing his heel, trying to hold him back, trying to, trying to compete, trying to be important, trying to be significant. But he's got this big brother who's the firstborn. A firstborn inherits the birthright. That's Esau. And his name disappears when he dies, but he had a nickname, Edom. And the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Esau means hairy. Edom means red. Jacob comes along, and he's given the name, he grasped the heel. Now, if some of you look in the footnote of your margin, it may say Jacob means supplanter or deceiver or manipulator. That's not really what the Greek word or what the Hebrew word means. That's the implication because he was always grabbing a hold of his brother's heel, always trying to hold his brother back, always trying to manipulate his brother so that he could be in the top dog position. The name game. Do you know what your name means? In the Bible, mean, names mean something. If uh, you, you can buy these name books. A lot of you mothers have done that. Before you had your baby, you went out and got a name book. Had all the girl names and boy names and what they mean. You can find that online now real easy. Uh, and it, it gives you all these names. And you can pick what you want to name your son or your daughter. I know what my name means. My parents named me Ralph. Why in the world would they name their kid Ralph? I don't know. But you know what it means? Wolf. I don't think they researched that very good. Wolf. Ow! Maybe your parents gave you your name based on a hope that they had or a concept about what you would be before you were born or, like Esau, something that they saw when they looked at you. You know, your parents may have given you a certain name, and then your friends gave you a nickname along the way, and you became known more for the nickname than for the, the real name. Let's go to the third thing, because our, our time is going by. I want us to see that they were non-identical twins. We always love it when twins are identical, right? And we watch them grow, and we try to study them, and we, we try to see, okay, a, Who's, who's the most like this or like that? And how are they most alike? And how can we dress them just the same? Verse 27 says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Ah, two completely different personalities. Have you ever noticed that about children? Your children have the very same DNA, a combination of mom and dad. But one goes this way, one goes that way. One's a hothead and the other one won't fight for anything. Just opposite personalities. 
Amazing how God does that. So Esau was a man of the open country. That says a lot about his character right there. He didn't want to be tied down. He doesn't want to have any roots established. He's a man of the open country. Don't give him rules. He wants to figure out his way as he goes. There's some of us in this room like that. We're a free spirit. We just want to do things. We don't want to plan. We just want to take a trip and see where we end up. Other people got to have that roadmap all planned out. They got to know where all the gas stations are, where all the eating places are, where all the motels are. They got to have it all planned out. So Esau was a free spirit, but Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. You see the difference? Esau was a pioneer. Pioneers take on territory no one else has taken on before. Pioneers charge into the unknown. Pioneers blaze a trail that nobody's blazed before. Pioneers go slow because they they got to pioneer every step of the way. And then there are settlers. Settlers don't want to pioneer. They want to settle down. They want to build a town. They want to build a community. All the pioneers want to go pioneer something new. There's some of you in this room, you're a pioneer. You're not content to just sit and be content. You want to go do something new. There's always a new project you have to do. There's always some new challenge you have to take on. That's the way you're wired. You're a pioneer. You've got to go where nobody's gone before. You've got to do something different. You're a pioneer. But others of us in this room, we're not pioneers. We're settlers. We're glad you pioneered. We're glad you did it the hard way. But we want to come along and enjoy the trail you blazed. We want to build a house and a garage and a shed. We want to plant trees while you're out pioneering something new. You see the difference here? And Jacob and Esau are a great example of this for us. Esau was the doer. He wanted to get out and go and do and bring back the wild game for his family. But Jacob, he's content to stay back and do the cooking. You bring me the wild game, I'll prepare the stew. I'll come up with a good roast. I'll come up with a good dinner. You go get the game, bring it back. Two completely different personalities. And it's a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. That's us, completely different, with different goals, different things we enjoy. But we're here together because we have one thing in common. We're in Father's house. We're different, radically different, but we all have the same Father. Same Father that loves us. Here's number four. The divergent personalities as they grow up. It says in verse 20, uh, I didn't put that in my notes. Verse 28. Oh, you got that up there? Verse 28? Nope. Let me read verse 28 again. Isaac, 
who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Do you see tension brewing here? Esau is a man after his dad's own heart. He goes, his dad is very happy eating lamb, eating the ox. He's very happy with that. But when his son brings home the venison, ah, now he's going to sit down and enjoy it. We'll let Jacob cook it because he knows how to cook it well. But the father loves his firstborn son, Esau. And the mother loves the secondborn son, Jacob. What do you think that does for Jacob? I'm, I'm, I'm... Sure, Jacob loved knowing that his mama loved him. But he's missing his dad's blessing. Let me speak to every dad in here. Don't let any of your children miss your blessing. You're going to have some that do everything just the way you want it. And you're going to have some rebellious rascals in your family. How many know I'm talking about? Jacob was a mama's boy, and he had to deal with a rejection complex all his life. Divergent personalities. So that's an overview of the the first struggle that Jacob had to deal with. Before he was born, he was struggling with this. It's part of his personality all the way along. But I want us to see that it's a picture, a word picture of you and I, personally. Let me go back to the New Testament and unpack this for us in the time we have left. Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 25. Follow along with uh, Paul's thought here and see the struggle. Paul says, For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. I keep doing what I don't want to do. What's making me do what I don't want to do? There's some kind of a power inside of me, he says, that keeps moving me back to do what I don't want to do. It's that power of sin. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. 
He says there's this law, this power inside of me, sin nature, fallen nature, whatever you want to call it. This is thing inside of me that keeps pulling me away from God and back toward the world's ways. And I keep saying, I don't want to walk that way. I don't want to do those things. I keep telling myself that. I really don't want to do these things. But I keep doing them. It's this power inside of me. Who's going to deliver me from this power inside of me? It's Jesus Christ. Because he goes to the cross and pays the price for my sin. And when he pays the price for my sin, he liberates that, me from that. Doesn't deliver me from that, but what he does, he implants inside of me a whole nother nature. A spiritual nature. So here's, here's a conflict going on inside of me, inside of you. Come on, let's acknowledge it. There's this conflict going on inside of us. I, I keep wanting to do what I don't really want to do. And the thing I really want to do, I can't find myself doing. So there's this battle inside of me. Am I going to do it the world's way, the natural way, the way I was born, or am I going to do it the way I was reborn? This is why it's called a rebirth. Because it's a whole new nature that comes out. And I think Jacob and Esau are a great example of that struggling nature that we all have within us. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to overcome it? How are we going to be overcomers of this struggle inside of us? The only way is for the power of Jesus Christ inside of us. That's the only way we can overcome it. So church, I want to encourage you to think about that. The next time you feel like you're hopeless, you got these desires, these urges pulling you the wrong way and you don't want to keep going that way, the next time you feel that inside of you, it's time to go back to Jesus. Because right. He's the only hope you have. He's the only power you have. you got this battle. Whatever you feed is going to grow. You feed the flesh, it becomes much stronger. You feed the spirit, it becomes much stronger. We're all going to have to deal with this, with this fight. Be careful how you pray. Because if you want God to deliver you from this sinful nature you have, the only way that's going to happen is if he kills you. Long as you live inside this flesh body, you're going to have that. But you can be an overcomer. Do you get it? We can be overcomers. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song, but as we're doing that, I want us to think. I want us to think about you, the battle inside of you. And the only thing you can do to be victorious over the battle inside of you to give it to Jesus to cry out to him so while we're singing this song I want you to think is there some corner of your life that you're not winning it's because you're not feeding the spirit and if you know that and you want to confess it to God I want to encourage you to come down to this altar those of you that are are watching from home you can you can respond to a prayer And if you come to this altar, we're going to pray for you that God's going to give you the spiritual power to become overcomers. Let's believe that together. Amen.